Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and it's July 27th. As usual, for a Wednesday, we'll be talking about the healthcare sector, and healthcare contributor Todd Campbell is on the line. How's it going, Todd? It's going great. I can't wait to dive in and talk to uh, everybody about some uh, some really interesting people. Yeah. So as you started to allude to, today's show is all about CEOs, so the people that sit at the very top of these companies. We're going to walk you through a handful of different names that stood out to us as having wildly succeeded in the past and potentially could be poised to do it again. So the inspiration for the show came last Thursday when Biogen announced that their CEO, George Skangos, would be leaving in the coming months. He'd been at the helm since 2010, and I'd argue he was quite successful. Even though shares were well down from their highs during his tenure, they stand today about five times higher than they were when he started. So this story was all over the news. The stock itself actually hardly moved, but management shakeups always create a stir. And sometimes they can really make or break a stock. So it got me thinking, why does it matter so much who sits at the top? Hmm. Yeah, and, you know, and I think that from an investing perspective, a lot of the the leaders that are probably known to most people uh, aren't necessarily healthcare uh, leaders, you know, they're they're leaders in in other like consumer electronics. Right, everybody knows who Steve Jobs is. Everybody knows who Bill Gates is. But maybe they don't know so much uh, who some of the the most successful people are in the healthcare space. And that's why I'm excited to talk about a couple different people today. But I think that you know everyone should rec- remember what matters. Why? What? Who cares who's at the top? I mean, a lot of times when we're looking at individual stocks we're making our decisions based on the numbers. We're not really thinking about the people who are behind those numbers. And we have to remember that if you have somebody with a proven track record, with the experience, the been there, done that um, kind of background, it can go a long way to ensuring the success of in the future. Absolutely. And so, with that in mind, we put together a list for you guys, our listeners today, of some CEOs that we think could be about to, as you put it to me, Todd, catch lightning in a bottle yet again. Meaning, these are guys that have been very successful already, and we think that they could be poised to to make the same kind of humongous impact in their industries again. So, right. very... Yeah, we've got leaders at, at companies who've been around for decades, and they're doing a wonderful job. Um, but what we were most interesting, I was most interested in talking about today, were, com- were leaders who not only succeeded in commercializing um, products, uh, getting them through the FDA approval process, et cetera, onto market, but then succeeded in selling those companies for a big profit um, uh after they they accomplished that feat. So you've got a few different managers that we're going to talk about, or leaders we're going to talk about today. The first one I want to talk about is a guy named Lonnie Mulder, and he runs a company called Tessero Inc. now. And that's probably a name that most listeners are not going to be familiar with. But it's a pretty noteworthy company. It's got a market cap of around $4.2 billion. They IPO'd in June 2012. The stock is up 558% since then. So Lonnie Mulder probably doing something right. Yeah. And, you know, you got to look at, okay, why do we care about Lonnie Mulder being at the helm of Tessero and why should I consider Tessero or even have it on my watch list or whatever? Lonnie Mulder is the former CEO of a company called MGI Pharma. 
And MGI Pharma successfully uh, uh, won approval of a chemotherapy induced nausea and vomiting drug called Aloxy. And Aloxy became a pretty widely used drug in that indication. And he successfully sold that company to a Japanese major drug maker for about $4 billion in 2008. After he did that, he stuck around for a little while at that new entity, and then he went off to be the president and CEO of a company called Abraxas Biosciences, which shortly thereafter got sold to Celgene for about $2.9 billion. So you sort of start to see a trend. Here's a person who knows how to create value and then knows how to deliver that value to shareholders. And now at Tessero, he seems to be doing it again because, as you mentioned, he's built a company with more than a $4 billion market cap, uh, despite the fact that you know it only has one drug very freshly on the market and, um, and maybe another drug coming next year. And these are both pretty interesting stories, these two drugs. So you have Verubi, which is another chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting drug that was approved in September. Um, if you recall, with the, his experience with Aloxy, which is the drug that was sold for about $4 billion in 2008, that was also in the same indication. So, to me, that indicates that there's a pretty good chance of success. And they're actually teamed up with Opco on that drug, which we're going to talk about Opco some more later in the show. But before we yeah, do, I, the, the other... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, Verubi, you know, sales are a trickle right now. Um, but I'm going to give Mulder a little bit of benefit of the doubt. He knows this market very well. We'll see how this plays out over the course of the next few quarters. But if Ruby isn't even the one that gets me most excited about Tessaro... Totally agree. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so that drug um, that we are a little bit more excited about, this is another one where I'm sure we're not pronouncing it correctly, so my apologies, but Niraparib? Yeah? Sure. Okay, let's go with it. <laughs> Niraparib. Sure. So uh, Tassaro bought the rights to this drug in 2012 from Merck for $7 million, which that's, that's pocket change in biotech talk. And right now, the drug is being studied in breast cancer and also ovarian cancer. And it's showing some pretty great signs that that could have been a really, really smart pickup. Yeah, I mean, recently they reported late stage data showing that this drug significantly uh, delays the progression of ovarian cancer in patients with a certain genetic makeup. And this is really, really big news because 85% of ovarian cancer patients end up relapsing. And as a result, as you relapse, uh, there's fewer and fewer treatment options. Unfortunately, uh, the prognosis gets worse and worse as you go along. So I think that there's a very big unmet need that this drug could target. Its success in trials caused the shares in this company to double um, in the past few months. So you're pretty good investment so far. Seven million in 2012 and a doubling to four billion in market cap uh, this year alone. Absolutely. And it's a pretty interesting drug, too. The way that it works, it's called a PARP inhibitor. So, in the presence of a PARP inhibitor, DNA damage isn't repaired, and so the cell eventually dies. And that sounds like a bad thing, but when you're talking about somebody that has cancer, even though PARP activity is a good thing in healthy patients, it can be a bad thing in cancer patients because it reduces the damage that the chemotherapy does to cancer DNA. And so, yeah. Right. Anything that helps cancer cells die is is good for a sick patient, even if it, it's working counterintuitively to someone who's healthy. Um, and, and I think that if this drug, I mean, they, they plan to file for F 
FDA approval later this year, that should mean that a decision will come next year. Um, who knows whether or not this will be a big seller or not, but it certainly would seem that, you know, Mulder's proving that he knows now with the second drug how to get drugs to the finish line. Exactly. So the next name that we want to talk about might ring more of a bell. Um, Lonnie Mulder is not the biggest name out there, but Patrick Soon-Shiong is a, a good bit well-known. He's the world's richest doctor. He's got a net worth of over $12 billion, and he has a pretty long track record of success in the healthcare industry. Yeah, Soon Sheng is definitely somebody that people should be watching. You know, I mean, he's kind of like, uh, I guess, the Steve Jobs, if you will, of of healthcare. But he hasn't quite, you know, he's not as a household name yet. Um, he's in the making, possibly. He is working on uh, Cancer Moonshot 2020. You know, he's leveraging his decade plus of experience in running two multi-billion-dollar companies and then selling them for big bucks. He's leveraging that uh, experience and that network of people to form a collaboration of industry leaders that hope to make a really, really major impact on treatment in cancer over the next, uh, next few years. This Moonshot 2020 collaboration was just announced in January, and I'm pretty sure we've actually talked about it on this show before, but essentially what it is is a collaboration between some of the leading cancer companies to try to accelerate research, particularly in combination immunotherapy areas, which that by all means seems like how immunotherapies should work is in collaboration with one another. Right. Listeners can go back to January if they want to uh, find out more about the Moonshot 2020 that Christine and I chatted about on, on that episode. Um, one of the companies that's participating in this Moonshot 2020 is Soon Sheng's own company, and that company is NantQuest, uh, symbol NK. It's an under-the-radar company. Not many people are paying attention to it right now, and that's because um, it hasn't begun to enroll uh, a lot of human trials yet. So it's a very early stage company. But just because of that, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't ignore um, I wouldn't ignore this company. I think it's it's definitely one to watch because Sun Sheng has said that he plans to have six human clinical trials underway before the end of this year. Yeah, I think this is a great example of a company where management really makes all the difference. If I were to look at this company and it didn't have this amazing CEO sitting up at the top, I'm not sure if I would really think about it more than a few minutes or so. I mean, they're they're down about 80% since their IPO in July 2015. They're really early stage. It's They're working on something that's similar to CAR-T, potentially safer. We're not really sure. Their most advanced drug is in phase two. But with Patrick Soon-Shiong at the helm, this is the guy that we mentioned Abraxas earlier. That was his company, which was sold to Celgene for $3 billion. And this is the company that makes Abraxane, which is a huge drug for Celgene. Celgene reported about uh, $2.25 million in revenue just from Abraxane in Q1, just for some context on what a great acquisition that was for them. The other company that uh, Sunshang has created and then sold is called American Pharma Partners and they do they market generic injectables to hospitals. This one was sold back in 2008 for 5.6 billion dollars. Yeah. You know, he's had a lot of success, but to your point, this is a high risk investment because there really have been no trials, no trial results to digest. You know, we're not anywhere near commercialization. So, this is one to watch. The third 
one on our list today is Philip Frost. This is the guy that is the CEO of Opco Health. He founded it in 2007. The ticker is OPK, and they've got a market cap of around $5.4 billion. Philip Frost is definitely a sum is greater than the parts kind of manager. I mean, he has made uh, billions of dollars over a lifetime career, 40, 50 years, um, by cobbling together different companies uh, and then turning that sum into a into big enough piece where he could then sell it to another company. And, and the company that made him probably uh, most well-known to investors it was IVAX, which he sold to Teva Pharmaceuticals for about $7 billion back in 2006. So he, he does um, have a penchant for going out and being very highly acquisitive. Um, he's shown that he knows how to navigate um, the marketplace and to make money for investors. Uh, and hopefully he'll be able to do that again with Opco Health, which is a very intriguing company on its own already. They have taken a bunch of, of really interesting acquisitions already. Even just no more than a month ago, they announced that they bought a company called Transition Therapeutics for $60 million, which is also a pretty small acquisition. But it's bringing in some really interesting candidates to Opco. They're getting uh, a little bit more beefy of a diabetes pipeline, some obesity drugs. I think there's even a, a mid-state Alzheimer candidate in there. And this has been called a, a classic Phil Frost deal by somebody that works with him, because this is what he does. He buys up these companies, and he makes them he makes them better than they were. He makes them profitable. Yeah, and you know, you look at the, probably the biggest deal he's made for Opco so far is last year's uh, purchase of Bioreference Labs, which is a specialty lab company. Uh, it immediately gen- gives you know Opco Health a billion dollars roughly in sales that it can leverage. It puts the company on a path to turn profitable for the first time next year. And that, of course, gives it a lot more financial flexibility to be able to go out and do a lot of the deals like you just mentioned. In the past, he's also orchestrated deals that have landed a fairly nice pile of late pi- late stage pipeline and now turning commercial drugs. You know, he um, licensed Verubi to Tessaro, which we just mentioned. Uh, so that's one drug that's in his pipeline. They just won approval for a vitamin D pro hormone, uh, which is being sold under the name of Rayaldi, which, you know, Frost seems to think has a lot of potential to be a big seller. 12 and billion it's also got a human growth hormone drug in development with late stage data coming soon. And that drug is licensed to Pfizer. Yeah, as you mentioned, this is a company that is expected to be profitable next year. So they really appear to me to be on the cusp. And they're supposedly going to have three FDA-approved drugs on the market by the end of 2017, and we'll see what their future holds. Yeah, it's really interesting too. I mean, you know, you you can't really look at it this way, but Frost has been around a long time, and he's I think he's about 80 years old. So you know, I look at him and I say, okay, well, what's his goal with Opco? I mean, if he's got a history and a track record of doing M&A, is it possible that he wants to turn Opco into something big relatively quickly, and then be able to turn around and, and sell that? I don't know. We'll have to keep an eye on it, see how these drugs roll out, see whether or not the, um, they hit the profitability targets that are being set for them next year. But this is a very intriguing company that investors ought to know about. And a very intriguing person, too, that investors ought to know about. One last uh, company and person that we wanted to talk about today. His name is Alan Auerbach, uh, and this is the CEO of Puma Bio. 
Yeah, Puma Bio is a very, very interesting company. It's been a roller coaster ride for a long time. Puma Bio uh, investors, you know, shares took off back in 2014 on positive data for a drug uh, for breast cancer that they were working on called Naritinib. Um, however, you know, concerns over safety that emerged because of some grade three and four cases of diarrhea uh, kind of weighed down shares and as a result they've retrenched a lot. However, investors may not want to be giving up on Puma at this point because our back successfully uh, is the person who's successfully behind the development of the top-selling prostate cancer drug Zytiga, which now generates out about $2.4 billion in annualized revenue for Johnson & Johnson. Johnson & Johnson bought Cougar uh, back uh, in 2009 for about a billion dollars. And Puma Biotech, um, his new company, has just filed for FDA approval of its breast cancer drug, Naternip. So it's, it could have a drug, theoretically, uh, that hits the market next year. Despite some of these uh, issues that you mentioned with patients suffering from diarrhea, which does, of course, mean that compliance could be an issue, they are looking at using another drug alongside of it to try to minimize some of that. And it's worked to some efficacy so far. Uh, this is a drug that's a tyrosine kinase inhibitor. So, in theory, it should stop a process called signal transduction in order to halt the spread of breast cancer. And as you likely know, breast cancer is extremely prevalent. So this is a market that could really, really use some new treatments available. There are about 1.6. Yeah, one, right, Christine, 1.6 million mm -hmm. new cases of brand, uh, breast cancer every year. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a major health issue. Um, and obviously, anything that can be done to delay the progression of breast cancer is important. You know, at first, the approval is for its use in the adjuvant setting, so it's going to be used to try and help delay the progression of the disease after patients have already been treated with other drugs like Herceptin. Um, but that could still be uh, a very big patient population. And given the fact that, you know, Puma, I think, uh, market cap is only about 1.4 or $1.5 you know, there, there could be some value in stepping up and, and paying attention to this one, too. Yeah, they're definitely tiny at the moment. As you mentioned, they used to have a much larger market cap. Back in mid-2014, they peaked at around $8 billion. So, all things considered, if they can get back up to that level, those are some really strong gains from current levels. But, you know, it's, it's a risky stock, too. Yeah, I mean, and we never—you never know how the FDA is going to view some of some of these things. I mean, I think that they've adding the um, the agent that can help control um, the the likelihood of, of the diarrhea side effects is important, and that could you know resolve a lot of FDA concerns regarding safety. Um, it's certainly not a, you know I mean diarrhea does occur in cancer treatment, so this is not it's not something like this is the only drug where this happens, but it is something that raises the the some question marks and makes me wonder okay well what are the odds of approval we don't know, uh, so again one to pay attention to, um, but it is a little bit risky. So Todd, before we wrap up, we've talked about four different companies today: Tessero, NantQuest, Opco, and Puma. If you could only buy one of them, which would it be? Mm, that's a great question. I'm going to have to go with Philip Frost and Opco Health. I mean, I, mainly because we have a pathway to profitability on that one. We know that they've got drugs that are already approved. We know that they're selling, uh, doing a lot of business uh, in the lab 
right now in their lab business. Um, and we have a pretty good idea that they're going to be able to translate that into you know, shareholder profit in a relatively short period of time. So I, that would be the one that I would focus on if I were an investor today. Okay, sounds good. Thanks for the pitch. Listeners, do you guys have any questions for us or do you just want to say hey? You can shoot us an email at industryfocusatpool.com or you can tweet at us. Our handle is at MFIndustryFocus. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Harges. Thanks for listening and fool on.